0: Good morning. Uh, let's ask for God's help, shall we, as we come to his word together. God in heaven, we have sung that we will never cease to thank you for your grace and we pray now for a moment of grace as we, as we open up this passage, as we look at what you have prepared and preserved for us in the Holy Scriptures. Now uh, We pray that you would use your word uh, to do your work and to glorify your name. Amen. Obsession is not a fragrance um, obsession the dictionary says obsession is an idea or thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes on a person 's mind uh, it 's something like the sun. Uh, the, the sun is how we see everything. The light from the sun travels one hundred and fifty million kilometers to the earth. It re- reflects and refracts into our eyes and creates an image. Uh, an obsession is like that. The thing that we are obsessed with uh, becomes how we see everything else. Or, or it's like gravity. You know, the, the sheer size of planet Earth sticks all the smaller things like us to it. An obsession is like that. Obsession is something for us that is so big, so huge, that, that everything else is tiny in comparison and everything else gets drawn to it. What are you obsessed with? Some people might accuse me of being obsessed with bread. They, they might. Uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I think, we went to London to see the Lion King. The highlight for me was when we were walking near Covent Garden, a very, very busy street, busy with tourists, busy with traffic, trying to manage the children, and then across the road, I saw it. The highlight of my trip, it's bakery. Wonderful bakery. I made a beeline for it, and we went straight up to the, up to the window, a few minutes of gazing and dribbling, and then we entered. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Bread. I love bread. Um, I do plan my time around bread making. Um, you could call it an obsession. Um, but it would be worth asking, is bread something worthy of my obsession? Uh, a guy called Henry Skugel said this. He said, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. Uh, is my soul... My soul created and dignified in the image of the, of the maker himself is, my, is the worth of a human soul, my human soul, to be measured by a yeast-based substance. Obsession. What is your obsession? What is it for you? What is it? What is your sun and your gravity? What, what is it? Uh, the, uh, John Stott says it like this. He said, what is it that fills your horizons, engrosses your attention, and absorbs your time and energy? What is it for you? Um, maybe you think actually there's nothing big enough for me like that maybe it's like eggs uh, you don't want to put them all in the same basket we want to want to put our obsession in one basket we diversify uh, you think well maybe nothing in my life is so all-encompassing what is your obsession a better question perhaps is what is worth worthy truly worthy of obsession is there anything worthy of it well this morning we are we're coming to the end of our journey through Galatians Uh, It's the last one in Galatians. Uh, Paul uh, visited these churches in Galatia. He went and he told them the good news about Jesus. Uh, A number of them believed and formed themselves into churches. Paul went away. As soon as he went away, others came in with messages that confused. And so Paul sits down and writes this letter. He's so shocked that they would so quickly move away from the good news. He says, if you come away from the good news, all you're left with is news. There's no goodness in it. And he passionately reminds them. That you can only be put in the right with God. Justification is by faith alone. You can only be put in the right with God when we trust and rely on Christ and what Christ has done. The the climax, I think, of what Paul writes comes at the beginning of Galatians 5. And we've been reflecting on it for a few weeks. Galatians 5 begins by saying, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Freedom. This is is honey and gold and all preciousness. Freedom. Freedom. As Paul writes about it, he's saying, the Lord Jesus Christ has removed every barrier, every obstacle to your eternal happiness. Christ has done everything, freedom. So go and live in it, says Paul. Stand firm in that freedom. But we're at the end now. And if you see where it begins in verse 11, Paul is wrapping it up. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. He makes this little comment, it it causes the reader to stop, to pause, to take breath. And we can do that as we come to this final section. Paul is going to finish the letter, he's going to wrap it up with one final explosion of exhortation. And the focus of what he says in his conclusion comes at the beginning of verse 14. There he writes, May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hinge of the paragraph. Verses 12 and 16, they they repeat a word which means kind of as many as, or, or those people, and that kind of begins and ends the passage. And then verse 13 ends and verse 14 begins talking about boasting, and that's where the passage turns. It's a hinge. Paul says, may I never boast except... Boasting. Boasting is when you brag about something, when you find a bold confidence in it. Uh, the, the word sometimes translated as rejoice or, or glory in. Uh, Paul is saying, I will only rejoice. I will only glory in. My only boast will be the cross of Christ. Again, John Stott writes, the object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. But Paul is ending the letter saying, the only thing worthy of our obsession is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he leads into it with a pause. See with what large letters I use as I write. So so as we prepare to plunge in, we take a pause and we ask ourselves, what is my obsession? What is it that you are obsessed with? What fills your horizons? What is your sun, by which you see everything else? What is the thing that draws you towards it, engrossing your attention, absorbing your time? What is it? And then a second question, what is worthy of it? Paul says it's only the cross of Christ. He said this is a basket in which you can safely put all your eggs of obsession. In fact, he says you must do that. You must boast only in the cross of Christ. Okay, there we are. So that's that's what's going to happen in the passage. We're going to look at three questions as we think about it. What is the alternative to obsession with the cross? Secondly, why is the cross worthy of obsession? And then thirdly, how can we be obsessed with the cross of Christ? Those are our three questions. Here's the first one. What is the alternative to obsession with the cross of Christ? Uh, Paul directly addresses what is going on in the churches in Galatia. These are Gentile believers. They're not from a Jewish background, but they repented of their sin and put their trust in Christ. Paul goes away. And it seems that some Jewish background believers have come in and said they must be circumcised in order to be saved. And, And Paul has written long about this. He said, if you rely on circumcision instead of Christ, you will not be saved. Circumcision is another way of trying to do it yourself and not relying on what Christ has done. And he comes back to it again here, verse 12, you see, he speaks about those who are trying to compel you to be circumcised. That that was the issue in the pews in Galatia. Uh, At at the end of the service, they they would turn to each other in anxious conversation saying, should we do it? Should we get circumcised? Now, these false teachers, they may have been well-intentioned. They could have been a bit muddled in what they said. But what Paul does in the end, he goes to the heart of why they are doing what they are doing. Why are they doing this? Why are they forcing circumcision? Two reasons. First of all, they are being self-protective. So in verse 12, he says, those who want to impress people. But literally, they want to make a good face. They want to save face. It matters what other, others think of them. They want people to think well of them. And the flip side, he says, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They want people to like them. They don't want people not to like them. They want to protect themselves from trouble so they shy away from hardship. Now, now Paul bursts that bubble with the little phrase, by means of the flesh. They want to impress by means of the flesh. He's written a lot about the flesh, about a way of describing a world that is weak and opposite to the promises of grace. In chapter 5, he spoke about how flesh is a way of describing the passions that rise up, which are self-centered cravings against the Spirit of God. And now he's saying those who want to make a good impression, as they do that, they're just sucked into this world of decay and death. Uh, First of all, he says they're self-protective. Secondly, he says they are self-promoting. See it in verse 13. He he says they want to boast about your circumcision in the flesh. The the reason they want to go to these churches and tell the Galatian Christians to get circumcised is so they can go home and brag about their achievements. It's got a sour taste of hypocrisy, though says not even those who are circumcised keep the law yet they want you to be circumcised they can't do what God requires they can't meet the standard that God has set so they change the standard they change the demands of God and shift something they've invented for themselves that they find to be doable they can't take their confidence and obedience to God's law because they sin like the rest of us so they make up another law another rule and they find confidence in that so when they boast they're boasting in what they have done they are self-protective and self-promoting. Isn't that familiar for us? And I wonder how much of the things that we think and we say you could be put into these two categories: a self-protection. When, when you know what's going on inside is, we think the reason I said that was because I want I wanted people to think well of me. I posted that picture because I wanted to save face. I got too busy. In fact, I got far too busy because I couldn't say no and people might think badly of me. The reason I didn't speak up was because I wanted to avoid embarrassment. I drank that drink too much because I wanted to hide. I took that job because I wanted to make my life easier. Self-protection or self-promotion. When, when we get to the end of the day and we think, I, I feel happy with my day because of what I have managed to achieve or I'm frustrated because I haven't done what I think I should have done. Or, or, or when things get hard, we take the attitude of we pray less and we work harder. Or, or we're just always comparing ourselves to others all the time. We're always thinking about, about what job they have or what family they have or about their looks or about their popularity or about their possessions. Always judging whether we are above or below them. Because our boast is in what we can achieve. And even if our measuring stick becomes very superficial, we get a sense of well-being because we find that we can measure ourselves in a way that puts us above someone other. Do you see any of that in yourself? I know I do. Well, in verses 12 and 13, Paul is giving the alternative to boasting in the cross. Do you see the obsession in these verses? It's that one word. Self. Self. Self-promotion. They boast in themselves. And and it's everywhere, isn't it? This this self-glory. We've got to see how pervasive this is all around us and in us. It drives us. it, It drives the world in which we live. The world in which we live says, believe in yourself. Define yourself. You can be what you create yourself to be. You are the ultimate measure of all things. What is right and wrong is defined by what you feel it to be. Truth is what you want it to be. And all those things are just saying, I am the center of the world. It's obsession with self. And boasting in self. Isn't it foul? John Calvin said, someone's glory, their boast, is whatever they think of as their highest good. That They boast in whatever they think is their highest good. So when we boast in ourselves, whichever way we do it, self-protection, self-promotion... We are thinking that we ourselves are our highest good. Now, When we boast in the things that we can do, we're filling all of our horizons with me. Now, some people call that narcissism. I just call it small, isn't it? Henry Skugel: the wealth, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. If the object of my soul's love is my own soul, My soul is pretty shriveled and pathetic, isn't it? The saying goes, don't put all your eggs in the same basket. But if you've just got one egg and two baskets, you have to make a choice, don't you? In verses 12 and 13, Paul is describing a basket. He's saying, you could put your obsession here. Put it in yourself. You could be obsessed with yourself. You could. But not for Paul. Verse 14, not for him. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our second question. Why is the cross of Christ worthy of obsession? The cross is a fact of history. The Romans adopted a means of execution. They adapted it. One of their own described it as a most cruel and disgusting punishment, reserved for the lowest of the low, designed to keep in subjugation the nations under the might of the empire And, and around AD 33 the Romans carried out a routine execution as some soldiers took a man on order of the governor they opened up his back with whips they bound him and they nailed him to a wooden cross they then lifted it from the ground and the victim slowly suffocated in excruciating agony that's history that happened But that was an event, that, that crucifixion, that was an event that so radically redefines everything. It is so hard to comprehend just how far it reaches. When you put a, a raw egg into a frying pan, every part of the egg is transformed. When you put all of history against the heat of Calvary, every part is transformed. Now, look at what Paul says. Look at why he explains he will and he must and he will only boast and glory in the cross of Christ. He gives two reasons. In verse 14, he says, Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, in, in the crucifixion of Christ, caught up into that crucifixion, Paul says there are two consequent crucifixions. You see that there? Christ is crucified, and Paul says, through through that crucifixion, the world has been crucified to me. A consequent crucifixion, the world is crucified. And then he speaks of another. He says, and I crucified to the world. Paul himself crucified in the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, In some ways, it's like playing on a team. When I was younger, I played on a rugby team um, for a while, but uh, we won a lot of games. We won a lot of games. We scored a lot of tries. When I say we scored a lot of tries, actually it was a guy on our team, and I think his name was Mark Cole. He was an astounding player, really astounding. Whenever he got the ball, uh, he would score. He he was just brilliant. Now I will argue uh, passionately that rugby is the ultimate team sport, but in this case, it didn't matter what anyone else on the team did. If Mark the ball we were going to score we were going to score he was that good and he was on our team so we scored the tries you see the christian gospel first and foremost is about christ it's about what christ has done it's not about me and what i do it's about the achievements of christ christ jesus died on the cross but when we are put on his team we claim what he does as our own and that's kind of what Paul is, is doing as he describes these two consequent crucifixions. Now that These crucifixions are about Paul and the world. See that? What's the world? Paul has spoken a lot about it in this letter. He begins in chapter 1, verse 4, by calling it this present evil age. That the world is what we belong to by birth. All of us belong to it. and It's, it's, it's this decaying corruption bound to we are all bound to it because of our sin now that the most important question anyone will ever ask and if you've never asked this for yourself you must ask how can we as lost and guilty sinners belonging to a world that is evil and futile how will we how will we face the perfectly just and infinitely holy God the world one day will meet the justice of God this day of reckoning god will not compromise on his justice but galatians 1 4 says christ jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age that's what the cross of christ is about on the cross of christ that the lord jesus was giving himself for our sins at the cross of christ the justice of god was being carried out god had come in the person of his son Uh, in the person of his son to redeem us and to answer himself for all of our sins so that divine justice can be satisfied and helpless sinners rescued that's the victory of Christ he died for our sins and when we trust him we get put on his team we claim what he has done for ourselves Uh, so when we trust him there follow these two crucifixions included in Christ's cross which show we are radically disconnected from the world that's what the cross of Christ does for us it it breaks our connection to the present evil age it releases us from the judgment of God it unbinds the hold of sin and death that has ruled over us since Adam that's what it does that's why Paul boasts in it verse 15 Paul, Paul writes neither Circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. The cross doesn't leave us homeless. Yes, the cross breaks us out of the prison of futility. Yes, the cross dislocates us from the world of sin. But the cross does not set us adrift to go ourselves our own way. The the thing that matters, Paul says, the real substance of existence is now new creation and that's our hope right from the fall right from when sin first erupted and and wickedness started to seep through the world God promised there would be restoration God promised what would be what was lost in the fall would not be lost forever Uh, when he called Abraham he erupted his blessings of 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 grace into the world promises about a home promises about a family But the fundamental problem of sin left those promises hanging, hanging generation after generation. But God would not let his promises be forgotten. And and God spoke through the the prophet Isaiah. And and he spoke about a coming age. A coming age where sorrow and sighing would flee away. A a coming age when the shroud of death that entangles all people would be swallowed up in victory. A a coming age when, when everything broken in the world would be made new. God called it through Isaiah, a new heavens and a new earth. The old would be gone and everything would be forever, gladness and joy. And the sound of weeping and crying done away with forever. And God himself wiping the tear away from every eye. And when Christ came, when Christ gave himself for our sins, on that cross of Jesus Christ, the fundamental problem of sin was answered for. And the fruit that flowered from that moment is the fruit of the new creation, an eternal home. Paul spoke about it as the rule of the spirit, the spirit breaking in. The new creation has begun and all who trust Christ belong to it. And we wait eagerly for his return. The curse that blighted the earth was answered at the cross and the curse is fading away. And so Paul says here, he says, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't really matter. What matters with eternal importance is not circumcision or uncircumcision. It is new creation in Christ. What matters is, are you on Christ's team? That matters for you this morning. Are you on Christ's team? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul goes on to describe the new creation. Its atmosphere, he says, is peace and mercy. The peace and mercy in the new creation. That's the air that we breathe. Peace with God. The peace with God because all the sin that put God against us was put on Christ and taken by Him. So now we are reconciled to our Maker, reconciled as beloved children. Peace and mercy. Mercy is so abundant because it flows. From the infinitely deep wounds of Christ. Mercy that means we're not given what we deserve. And the people of the new creation of the Israel of God. The church is the true and final people of God. Made up of all who trust in Christ. From all nations, languages and backgrounds. And waiting for new creation. Now why is the cross of Christ worthy of our obsession? For the Apostle Paul, he says, the whole of his world orbits around the cross. Nothing mattered more to him. He would not boast in anything but this one thing, the cross of Christ. Why was he so obsessed? Well, he says because the cross is the reason for his radical disconnection from the world. The cross is the reason for his reconstitution as part of a new creation. so, So as Paul writes this conclusion, in effect, he's saying... He said, you can, you can boast in yourself if you want. The self-protection, self-promotion, you can do that just like you could play in the dark. You could put on makeup in the dark, but you'll look ridiculous. You can adorn your, your wilting existence with nonsense and shrivel up your soul. You could do all of that. Or, or you could boast in the cross of Christ. Boast in the cross through which your relationship to the world is changed forever. You are brought to belonging." Through the cross, brought to something of such a beauty and such a reality and such a substance, a new creation where mercy and peace reign forever, brought into the people of God. That's what Christ has done for you. The cross of Christ is Paul's obsession because it changes everything for him. So what about you? You've got one egg and two baskets. Where are you going to put it? What is worthy of your obsession? Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you say? Now, I, I don't know about you, but I just wonder whether we, we just get this glimpse, don't we? A, a glimpse of the worth of the cross. And, and perhaps there's that, there's that niggle. That Paul is right in what he says and 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 it might be that actually we'd say yes we want we want the cross to be our obsession but if we're honest it's just fighting with so many other things our horizons are many our attention is divided our time and energy pulled in all kinds of ways so let's come to our third question how how can we be obsessed with the cross of Christ? And we'll think about this more in our home groups this week. And, and I think this is just hugely challenging. This, this end of this letter, it's a glorious letter, this letter to the Galatians. And it ends with this explosion. Uh, that The scope of it is dizzying. Paul is saying the whole of his existence is, is set in relation to the cross of Christ. The cross has this worth, this power, this reach. That everything is encompassed. All is confidence. All is rejoicing. All is boasting. All is glorying. Everything is all and only in the cross of Christ. How do we get anywhere near that? How do we take a step towards that? Now, let me suggest three things with the acronym ACE, I think. We'll do it in reverse though. First of all, an E. How do we do it? Education. <laughs> Is that obvious? Isn't that obvious? See, when we understand only little of the cross, we will think little of the cross, won't we? Isn't that obvious? But but when we learn more, when we learn more of what it meant, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, when we learn that he was crushed under the infinite curse of God for my sin, when we learn that his agony has earned our eternity, when we learn about the world in its true colours, fallen and depraved, and we learn about how the cross crucifies us to the world and us, us to it as well. When we when we learn about the mercies that flow through the sacrifice of the son, we have been bought with his blood that our debt has been paid, it has been paid in full. And when we learn about new creation and our minds are stretched and they boggle and we try to imagine what is beyond the We strain to see more. The more we understand the inexpressible worth of Christ and him crucified, the more we will struggle to hold on to our small and fleeting thoughts of the cross. Education. But notice that Paul says, may the cross be his only boast. Does that mean that he has to ignore everything else? I don't think so. Obsession is something that acts like the sun. The the sun is the means by which we see everything. Obsession is like that. The thing that we are obsessed with becomes the way we see everything else. So, So to boast only in the cross of Christ means everything is seen in light of the cross. Everything. Everything, from hard times to good times, from family to work, from... Bread making to baby making to eating to drinking to running to falling to planning to longing to reflecting to aching all things everything is to be seen in light of the cross. See, as a Christian, as a person who trusts in Christ, everything about you is defined by the cross. You see how Paul puts it here? Paul looks at the cross of Christ and he says, As I see the cross of Christ, I see that there I was crucified to the world and the world to me. So anything included in the category me is founded in the moment of Christ's crucifixion. So every good thing that comes to you and every bad thing that God will ultimately turn in his hand of grace into a good thing, all things obtained for you by the cross of Christ. So I, I think that means, and you can ask me about this afterwards, I think it means that if a believer stands next to an unbeliever and they breathe the same air, the reason that God grants that breath to each is radically different. The the unbeliever uh, breathes because of God's common grace to them. But the believer breathes not by right, not by common grace, but because everything they are and have is merited on the work of Christ and him crucified. So we trace every moment to the cross of Christ the cross that towers over history the cross that dominates the horizons of eternity we have a lot to learn obsession can grow with education but we give ourselves to the study and the contemplation of the cross let me have a C calibration we live in a world of unhealthy obsessions don't we And we get sucked in pretty quick. Now, now why is it? We have to ask ourselves, why is it that the cross so quickly fades to the background of our lives? I think one of the reasons is that the world we live in lies to us about the importance. All week long, you are being lied to. You turn on the TV and there are lies that pour into your heart, uh, uh, telling you things that are worthy of your obsession, telling you things that must captivate your attention, and none of those things are the cross of Christ. Now, Paul says that the false teachers, in verse 12, worry too much about what others think. We get sucked into that, don't we? The cross becomes small as we worry about what others think about us. In verse 15, Paul says, circumcision, uncircumcision don't really matter. They don't mean anything. And, and yet we, we live in this world in which, which makes so much of little things. People get het up about things of no substance or consequence, and the thing that really happens, the new creation is not known. It's like in the Narnia book, The Silver Chair, I think my favorite Narnia book. Two children get trapped in the underworld, and it's miserable. And, and, and they get enchanted by this witch who, who tells them that, that all, everything about the overworld was just a dream. They've just made it up. It's just from their imagination. And this dark, dank underworld is all that there is. And she lies to them. And when they protest, she twists their answers. And they are almost overcome, thinking that the underworld is the only world and everything else is just something they dreamed. We need calibration, regular calibration. Here this morning, we come together on a Sunday so we can sing songs about a new world. So we come together so we can hear the words of our crucified and risen Redeemer, and we pray to the Lord of the new creation. And we remember we are not yet home, but He is coming soon. So we gather. We gather to boast in the cross of Christ. We gather to to rejoice cross of Christ and to recalibrate week by week to recalibrate and shake off the dust and the lies that we've picked up and remind one another it is the cross that is worthy of our obsession calibration and then aspiration see when the cross is our obsession it changes what we live for Twenty-two years ago, John Piper, a pastor in America, preached to 40,000 students on Galatians 6.14. And and he told them, he said, three weeks previously, Ruby and Laura were killed in Cameroon. Uh, These two ladies, one just before her 80th birthday, one just after. He said they were in Cameroon to make Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. The brakes on their car failed and the car went over a cliff. And then he said, was that a tragedy? He asks this, he says, two lives driven by one great vision spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Christ. Two decades after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles. That is not a tragedy. That is glory. And then he says what he thinks is a tragedy. He reads an extract from the Reader's Digest, which says this, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. He says you have one life. And at the end of it, you want to stand before your creator and say, look at my collection of shells. Now, don't, don't mishear me on this. I think Dan Schweer likes to tell a story that's probably not true about Charles Spurgeon going into a a carriage of ministers who are all smoking their pipes. And he looks at them and says, can you do that to the glory of God? And they all get embarrassed and start to put them away. And then Spurgeon pulls out his cigar and says, I can. Silly story, isn't it? Um, But the point is, you, you can collect shells to the glory of God. But if you collect shells, make sure it is boasting in the cross of Christ. What are we living for? Does the inexpressible worth of the cross of Christ shape how you are planning your life? See, the significance of the cross, the cross shifts the whole of eternity. Does it shift the few years that the Lord has given you on this earth? What are we living for? And Mez McConnell is a pastor in Scotland and he he wrote a book recently and he, He says much of British Christianity, from his assessment, fails to boast in the cross because we are sold out to the crossless thinking of the world. He he says "The, the way that Christians operate is this. He says education and career, anything else is madness. Attempting great things for God is viewed as being foolish and unwise. Playing it safe is seen as the spiritual thing to do. And what's it left us with? An anemic faith with pulpits full of anemic communicators throwing cold water on the dreams of the young, wonderfully crafted sermons with pithy middle-class illustrations without a call to arms for gospel warriors. Forget the sensible option. Forget your career or future stock options and pension plans. Follow Jesus into the coalface of spiritual war in our country. Come and migrate to the spiritual wastelands of the UK and work long hours in difficult circumstances with some beautiful glimpses of gospel light with many discouragements and little financial reward and then die here, nameless and forgotten by all but him whom we serve, King Jesus. Sensible options and pension plans and all that jazz are just fine, as long as it is boasting in the cross of Christ. Obsession with the cross leads to a life lived under the shadow of the cross, where every action, every plan, every aspiration gets submitted to this one thing, the only thing that is worthy of our obsession, a unique obsession, an eternal obsession, the cross of Jesus Christ. So don't we long to say, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ. May we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ.